0: On streets from uh, churches, but perhaps uh, also known as Pentecost Sunday, and it's a reminder: 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, 10 days after his ascension, that um, uh, he gave the Holy Spirit to the church. Uh, You can read about it in Acts uh, 2. We're sometimes described, and it's not a, it's certainly not a, uh, a description that we push back on, but we use other descriptions that seek to relate to people more, but we sometimes describe as a Pentecostal church, which we are. In other words, we're a church that believes in the power of the Spirit of God today. And the reality is that God has done something amazing in the earth in the last hundred years, because um, in about 1905, there was a great outpouring of the Spirit that began uh, in a very uh, nondescript church in Los Angeles, Azusa Street, uh, led by a black American pastor called Seymour. And God began to do something amazing. His Spirit poured out in the earth. And as someone has defined, the 20th century has very much been defined as the the century of the outpouring of the Spirit into the church. Let me just remind you that today there are over 500 million people in the earth that claim to have an experience with the power of the Spirit. That is what we call classical Pentecostal churches, but also charismatic churches uh, that have uh, where, where the Spirit of God's poured out into the historic church. I just want you to be encouraged by that, that God is pouring out His Spirit in the earth, that He's doing it for a reason and for a purpose. And you know, sometimes people say, well, I'm a bit nervous about becoming a Christian because I couldn't keep it up. No, you most certainly couldn't. But the power of the Spirit in you, alongside your commitment to submitting to jesus we've sung about this morning means that you can more than keep it up you can advance and progress and become more like him so on this pentecost sunday we say thank you jesus for not leaving us on our own as you promised the disciples thank you for giving us the comfort of the counselor whatever the word is in your bible the paracletos the one that comes alongside And uh, we want to revel in that. We want to continually enjoy the power of the Spirit in our lives, the gifts of the Spirit working in us, and all that the Spirit of God brings to us. And uh, we thank Him for that. So let's just come to uh, our last but one message on thieves and occupants. And we're just going to read a verse from the Old Testament from the book of Lamentations. And uh, it's a verse that will just lead us into this morning's ministry. As you can imagine, Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He cried a lot, and uh, he had a lot to cry about because the nation was in a place of uh, of uh, decline and retreat spiritually. And uh, Jeremiah had to go through many, many things in order to bring the word of the Lord. And uh, once he finished writing Jeremiah, the, we, we then got to the the, the lamentations, laments, and uh, and. Here we've got these wonderful words in chapter 3. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. If you just go back to verse 22 again, Chris, sometimes that word compassions is the word mercies. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. As I say, this is our last but one message on thieves and occupants. I trust that you've been enjoying the series. A very important series because it really helps continually shape what God has destined us to be. Christian made the point last Sunday night at Mansfield, and I I thought it was a great point, that many churches, with respect, do not uh, approach and think about these things And they lay themselves open to be invaded by things that aren't of God. And sometimes they don't even realize it. And then wonder why they're not progressing and advancing in the way that God desires. So thieves, we talked about what we ought to keep out the church. Religion, rejection, offense and control. And over the last few weeks we've been talking about the occupants of the house. What we ought to be letting into the house of God. Uh, uh, we've talked about that thought of behaviors and Josh has defined it for us and it went up on screen last week. Uh, not something that is coerced out of us or enforced upon us, but something that comes from our heart in response to our followership of him. And so we've talked about what discipleship, we've talked about aspiration and team and unity. And last week Andy and Christian spoke about faith and passion. And we want to, if you like, finish off, obviously the list could go on and on, but what is relevant to us, we want to finish off this morning by looking at two of the thoughts that need to be in the house of God, occupants of the house, and that is generosity and mercy. And I'm going to try and put them together in terms of the message this morning. But when we are a Christian church that reflects a generous heart and a merciful life, then we do very reflect the heart of God and that is our call and our design. I refer you again to a booklet that we have that is under redesign at the moment that reflects anew this series but carries many of the principles uh, that we've alluded to in this series. For instance generosity. It's so often when we mention the word defined financially or fiscally. Oh they're asking me how much I put in the bag. But it's far more than that, and that's the problem. You see, the definition of generosity is a readiness and liberality of giving, which impacts our words, our time, and our resource. Sometimes, friends, the problem with the Christian church is that we've been calling people to be generous financially, and they've not nailed generosity in their heart, and it becomes a battle. But when you have landed generosity of heart, then generosity of financial giving becomes far less an issue. And God has called us, make no mistake, to be generous. To give something back to him of what he has given to us. It's a blessing. It's a privilege. And uh, to do exactly that. We are blessed by a generous God. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Behold what love the Father has lavished upon us. That we should be called the children of God. Now then about you. But if I ever get lavished with somebody giving great hospitality or lavished with a great great gift, I know that I've been on the end of someone being generous. He's lavished his love on us. He's not been mean-spirited, but he has come to every one of us and loved us and loved us and loved us. And then what about mercy? Well, the prophet Micah says that we are to do justly, we are to love mercy, and we are to walk humbly with our God. Habakkuk crying out to the Lord in the Old Testament says, Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. James 2.13, where the context is that we, we don't judge somebody by their outward appearance. If I can use modern day terms, somebody turns up in a sharp suit, oh, great, great, you can sit on the front row, and somebody else comes that may be looking a little bit bereft and sorry for themselves and uh, maybe a little bit smelly and we sort of push them on the back row. It's not the heart of arena, of course, but that's the picture that's painted in James 2. And that context is concluded by saying that mercy triumphs over judgment every time. Because mercy literally means a compassion for the guilty. And you'll know that that word compassion means to feel something in your innards. I suggest that when... When we've nearly given 1,500 quid last week to the Nepal uh, appeal, it's because we felt something. Something went on a screen, but we were moved in a merciful heart for those that were in need. What a tremendous offering. Thank you. All that goes to our in-care department of AOG World Mission. Gary's got contacts out there right on the ground. Every penny of that will go to uh, making a contribution along with many other churches to help uh, the restructuring of that needy. Uh, nation after that terrible earthquake of three weeks ago so thanks so much again but it, it something moves in us for the guilty and and it's always reflected in God's heart for us the psalmist says Lord if you kept a record of our sins who could stand question mark and of course none of us could but he has been merciful To the guilty, you and I, he has been merciful to us when we were far from him. He has been merciful to us when we get it wrong. He comes again and again and again, and because he's merciful, this morning we can stand boldly in his presence and worship him. So in the few minutes that we have this morning, how do I align these two great values of generosity and mercy? Cultural behaviors of a a church that leave us with a lesson to imbibe. Well, I want to tell a story, and you know you can 't say that without thinking about that bloke, can you? but uh, <laughs> some of you won 't even know who Max Bygraves is, but we 'll move on <laughs> but i 'm thankful it's not my story this morning it 's a Jesus story, and the Jesus story is often defined as a parable, and a simple definition of a parable is an earthly, everyday story with a heavenly spiritual, eternal meaning. And Jesus, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, very often took an everyday illustration to tell a story with an impact if eternal, spiritual message. So, to save time, I want to uh, take you to Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. I won't read the 14 verses, some of you will be very aware of the story but I'll explain it to us and then try and land it into our hearts this morning by God's grace. Jesus was a brilliant storyteller and uh, he would, as I say, take an everyday illustration. Now sometimes those illustrations are a little bit more difficult for us to sometimes grasp. They were stories of 2,000 years ago in a very different culture, Eastern cultures against West that we live in. But if you dig down at times, you'll find that they have an application to us. And often Jesus would use exaggeration or hyperbole to get across his point. And he does here in this particular story. And the context is forgiveness. So they're having a conversation. And the disciples said to Jesus, well, how many times do you think we ought to forgive somebody? And as Jesus often did, he used a question to respond to the question. It says, well, how many do you think? Peter in his own inimitable way dived in and said seven and he was going like this because the rabbinical teaching of the day was three so he doubled it and added a bit seven times lots Jesus says 70 times seven it didn't mean that on the 491st time that you were offended you didn't have to forgive anymore He was talking about the limitless nature of forgiveness rooted in a heart that's merciful and generous. Because some of you may have at the top of that particular passage the story of the unmerciful servant. Or we could put there the story of the ungenerous servant. Mercy and generosity so sit together in in, in parallel. So let me briefly tell you the story. There was a certain king who was settling his accounts and he was calling his subjects to him that owed him debt and was bringing it back. And if you sort of pay for something at times with the understanding that you thought that actually you were never going to have to pay it back until that fateful day came, you know, when you realize that you've got to pay back what you owed. Of course, we live in a society today, sadly, where people still ignore that often get themselves into great trouble because of it. I will go there this morning. But this man, the Bible tells us, owed a huge debt to the, Lord, uh, to the king. Uh, it's described in one translation as 10,000 talents or 10,000 bags of gold. And Bible commentators have defined this money as, in our everyday terms, millions of pounds. A huge, unpayable debt back. So the king says, well, when are you going to pay? And the servant came to him and says, oh, king, have mercy upon me. Be patient. I'll, I'll pay it back. And the king, with an amazingly merciful attitude, says, you know what? The debt's wiped away. Isn't that fantastic? When you just love your mortgage lender to bring you up tomorrow morning and say, you know what? We're going to let you off with paying your mortgage. <laughs> Woo! Be incredible. But that's what he did. And the huge debt was cancelled. And so the relieved servant goes out and bumps into a fellow servant colleague. And the Bible describes that particular person as owing him a hundred denarii. Again, read through it. It was just over five pounds. He's been forgiven millions. His, his mate owes him five quid. And in those days, if you didn't pay back, then your route to not paying back was to find yourself in prison. So he grabbed the guy around the throat was going to throttle him. He says, pay me back my five pounds. The guy says, I haven't got it. Please be patient with me. He says, no, no, no. And so his fellow colleague ended up in prison. But people saw it and went back to the king and told him, And so the original servant that had been forgiven this huge debt was hauled back in front of the king and called wicked. And the Bible uses strong imagery that uh, says that he was now put into prison and uh, that it reflects on us that if we live with that unmerciful, ungenerous heart, we set ourselves up for a place of imprisonment. Not literally, of course, but in our hearts in our hearts and let me reiterate today friends Jesus wants us to live free yeah. whom the sun sets free is free indeed he wants us to live liberated for him and it may be that you signed up for being ungenerous and unforgiving and unmerciful and deep in your heart you are totally locked up tormented even the bible uses that word And it's not the heart of God. But that's what an unmerciful, ungenerous attitude does to us. It binds us. It inhibits us. It stops us being what God wants us to be. So let me give you three things about forgiveness because that's the context. As we think about the occupants of the house this morning being merciful, and generous people. I want to suggest to me in a church this morning that if we sign up for mercy and generosity, it will inevitably mean that we come to a greater understanding in our hearts of what forgiveness is. So firstly, forgiveness received. The Bible tells us that we have forgiveness in Him through all that He did for us on the cross. Think about that servant for a moment. Forgiven by the king, a debt, of millions of pounds, 10,000 bags of gold. I want to say the debt that we had against God was even more unpayable than that because it was a debt spiritually, inwardly, internally in our heart caused by doing wrong. The Bible calls it sin that separated us from our holy God and we could never get back to Him in our own strength. You know, sometimes people say to me, there's lots of nice people around in the earth, aren't there? And there really are. Maybe you work with some. They're not believers. They won't be in church today. But there really are nice people. <clears throat> good people. Good citizens. And you know, the only hope of those people coming to Christ is, the under- is, is, is that they have a revelation of the impossible debt that sits over their life. However good they've been. However good they've been. They've wronged God. And the Bible says that if we're guilty of one sin, it's as if we're guilty of all the others. You see, sometimes people come to God and they are aware of how wrong they are before him and cry out to him. But it's for all of us. To understand there is an unpayable debt that sits over our lives. And what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is to treat as though the offense, the sin, has never been committed. Isn't that amazing? When you gave your life to Jesus, One of the things that happened in your life is that you received forgiveness. I don't care what you've done. And it may be that you are ashamed of your past. It may be that you lived in such a way that was totally against what a loving God would want you to do. But if you step into forgiveness, this is the good news of the gospel. He treats that as though you have never, ever done it. That is amazing. And as someone says, forgiveness has never been at the expense of justice. That's why the power of the cross sits very central to the Christian church and to this church. And what about forgiveness? Forgiveness is past. Forgiveness is present. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. It's not a gospel verse. It's a verse written to the church. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's something that shocks people when they become Christians. They can still sin. Oh, that word slipped out and I used to not even think about it. They can still think wrong things. Yeah, we're still in a battle. We're still coming to Christ likeness. But even this week, if you feel there's something happened in your life, you can come to God, you can confess your sin, and he has faithful and just to forgive you, not only past but present. That's not an excuse for continually getting it wrong. But it's a recognition that we continually need forgiveness. You don't have to live in condemnation for weeks. You don't have to come to church with your head to the ground because something went wrong. And that little accusing voice is call yourself a Christian. You, look what happened on Wednesday night. You need to just come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Will your blood wash over my life again because I confess my sin and you're faithful and just to forgive me. It's gone. It's sorted. It's as if you've never done it. Some people are talking to God about things and He doesn't know what they're talking about because He's finished with. It's past, It's present. And You know what? As we walk into the future, forgiveness is taken care of. Isn't that amazing? It is taken care of. You know, one of the great passions of Arena Church is that we would see a revival of prodigals coming back to the church. That's people that for whatever reason have lost their way. They've been like their young son in Luke 15. They used to love the Lord for whatever reason. It could have been somebody else's fault. They could have jumped into a fence. But they've not been walking with the Lord. But they would come back to a place of understanding that forgiveness flows again for them. And whatever they've done while they've been away, it's as if it never happened when they find what Jesus has done for them. Forgiveness recedes. If you're a Christian this morning, I encourage you to live in the power of received forgiveness over your life. You need to believe it. You need to receive it. Therefore, you are not guilty. You need to apply it by faith, and then you need to live it out in the freedom that God has called you to live in. And there's a huge difference between a Christian that lives free and a Christian that's living guilty. And most Christians that live guilty are miserable. And God's not called us to live like that. But what about forgiveness not only received but forgiveness released? Oh, Jesus said at the end of teaching on prayer in Matthew 6 that I'm calling you to forgive others just as I have forgiven you. And this is the real heartbeat of the message this morning as we reflect mercy and generosity. It was the great author C.S. Lewis that says everybody thinks that forgiveness is a wonderful idea until they have to do it. And I'm going to tread carefully over the next two or three minutes because I could be misinterpreted. That bloke at the front talking about forgiveness, he doesn't know what's happened in my life. He doesn't know what's happened to me. He doesn't know what I've been through. He doesn't know what people have said about me. And maybe I don't know all those things. But I want to talk to a principle today, friends, and then ask God the Holy Spirit to apply the principle to you so that you would work it out in your life, so that you would be free. So please don't define the next moments as being trite or unfeeling because they're really not meant to be. Why don't people release forgiveness? Well, number one, because they don't see the need to. They're immune from it. Ignorant to the principle of releasing forgiveness to others. I suggest those people haven't had an understanding of mercy and generosity. And then, of course, people don't receive forgiveness because they don't want to. They feel better holding on to unforgiveness. Even though it's locking them up, causing torment torment and inner turmoil, they feel better by not releasing it. And the third reason is because they can't. They feel it's utterly impossible. Despite the debt that's been removed over our lives, they cannot cancel the debts that someone else has put over their lives let me just give you a few things about forgiveness here's a quote from a man that sits on death row in one of the prisons in america since he sat on death row he's become a christian a follower of jesus and he's trying to navigate forgiveness to his mother he says this forgiveness is not forgetting It's another one of those cliches that we quote with biblical evangelical zeal, and it's not in the Bible. He says, we are taught from an early age to forgive and forget. However, there is often not, how often this is not realistic and it's not valuable. It would be nice to be able to turn back the clock and erase the unpleasantness of the past, but it just isn't possible. The real thing is to forget isn't to forget the past, but to learn from it and to use it to help you and others live in the future. Here's another non-biblical quote. Well, cheer up because time's a healer. And very often it isn't. Time's not a healer, forgiveness is. Time's not a healer, forgiveness is. The prisoner on death row goes on to say, listen to this, forgiveness is not condoning wrong. Forgiveness is not condoning wrong. It doesn't mean that in the past, the past was okay and and was good and not bad. He recognizes that people have been hurt. It's been painful and affected lives. But forgiveness allows us to deal with the past in a more effective way that doesn't minimize the past. But rather minimizes the effects of the painful past on the present and on our future. It in no way denies, justifies, or condones the original harm that was done to us, but forgiveness releases its power over us. Here's two or three other things that forgiveness isn't. Forgiveness isn't going easy on sin. You remember Jesus being confronted with the woman that was caught in the act of adultery and forgive me, I'll be measured in what I say but I was just reading that story recently again with a commentary and it was probably likely that the lady was naked dragged before Jesus he forgave her just as if she'd never done it and then he says go and sin no more go and sin no more forgiveness is not waiting for the right time to feel good about it because it's unlikely that you will ever get to that place. It's not about the right feeling, it's about the right decision. And the right decision then deals with the wrong feeling. And forgiveness is not a sign of weakness, that somehow you've caved into what came against you and you're just giving over to somebody else. It's actually a revelation of the strength of God's mercy and generosity that sits over your life I sat in our living room this morning early on just getting before I came to church I'm thinking of all the people that I wouldn't like to forgive it's not too long a list but they were, they were all there this morning I wish I didn't have a good memory the guy that as I'm praying for him dying on his deathbed speaks out cursings over what I was doing in the church. People that play games with our lives and led us on false pretenses. So it goes on. And I've forgiven them all. But this morning, forgiven, 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 forgiven. I am not allowing any unforgiveness to sit over my life that stops me being all that God has called me to be in the present. In the future, and I understand that even in a group such as this, this morning there may be some heinous things that have taken place over people's lives—things said, things done, betrayals, broken relationships, promises that were never fulfilled—and there's something in you that says, "I don't want to let that go. I like living in unforgiveness." I like the sense of what it brings to me. I want to tell you, you're in a place of punishment. You're in a place of being bound. You're in a place where you'll never be able to fulfill all that God has destined you to be. And every time that you attempted not to forgive the debt that sits over you, remember the unpayable debts that was removed from your life through Jesus' love on the cross. Forgiveness received, forgiveness released. And finally, forgiveness renewing. Colossians says, put on the new self, Colossians 3, 10 to 13. And in that context, one of the things it says, put on the new self, being renewed. One of the things it says is forgiving one another. Jesus illustrated unforgiveness and the binding it brings. It can bring binding to a life. It can bring binding to a church. It can bring binding to a community. It can bring binding to a nation. So this morning, I encourage you to see afresh the amazing truth of the occupancy of generosity and mercy. And it digs deep. But I encourage us this morning, every one of us, to live out that lifestyle. Because it is so liberating into what God has called us to be. I realize, friends, that every one of us need to ask God to help us. to realize that mercy triumphs over judgment. I realize that sometimes I'm still quick to be prejudiced, to make my particular comment about something without understanding all the facts, to speak back at the, two, the, the BBC news and say, why don't they get a life and sort it all out without understanding all that's behind it. I'm so quick to do that still at times. Lord, may mercy triumph over judgment. I realize that within every one of us there's a carnal side that loves to hang on to unforgiveness. It makes us feel better. And I encourage you this morning to let it go in Jesus' name. It may have been something last week. It may have been something 20 years ago. But in generosity and mercy we'd find the healing that God has purchased for us in Him. And when we do that and when forgiveness is continually renewed in our lives we're blessed and not bitter. We're renewed and not resentful. We're growing and not diminishing. Arena Church, draw on the power of this story of Jesus in Matthew 18. Think about it afresh and what it means to your life. Ask God to help us to realize again that we have received an amazing gift from him, lavished upon us, forgiveness received the unpayable 10,000 bags of gold and more removed from us. May we come to a place of being able to respond to him by forgiveness release to others. And may we live forever in a spirit of mercy and generosity with our forgiveness forever being renewed. I think that sets us up to be a great community of God's people. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What an amazingly generous and merciful God may he give us grace to reflect his life in the earth in these days. Amen. Let's pray.